You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Glad you're here, man. What a joy it is for me to be with you guys today at Piedmont Church. I love the fact that Chris would invite me back. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's an honor when you get back a second time, right? You get asked back again, because if you don't get asked back, you always wonder, well, did I blow it that bad that they don't ever want to call? But I appreciate Chris doing that. And so thankful for the worship here today. It's such a wonderful time just to spend before the Lord. I'm glad to have my wife here, Casey, and my daughter, Mary Beth, here with me today. And uh, they don't get to hang out a lot. I don't always get to go to hear me preach. I'm usually preaching somewhere different every Sunday and all across the state of Georgia. I cover about half the state, and so you can imagine I go a lot of different places, sometimes far from Macon, sometimes close. But uh, Mary Beth grew up listening to me preach every single Sunday, she, so she's probably glad to get a little break here and there. And so this is the first time in a while she's actually heard me, and so I'm glad that they are here. And it's good to see familiar faces. Uh, being here before, I know some of you. Being from Macon, I know some of you for that way. And then being at Lawrence Drive for almost 16 years, some of you came through Lawrence Drive. So it's a blessing to see you here, to see you serving. So it feels like I'm home, all right? It feels like I'm at home. And so I'm excited about what the Lord wants to do today in this place. And I'm praying that God would do something great. I love what Chris has done this summer, talking about summer through the Psalms and looking at different Psalms. And, and even beyond that, I love the fact that he's invited others to come in and to share wisdom that they have gleaned over the years. And I saw Joe Mack was here last week, man. That guy's been around for like 150 years, hasn't he? I mean, I've known Joe forever and love Joe and so glad to be following him. The 23rd Psalm, I mean, what a great Psalm to learn from. One of my favorites. But today I've chosen to pick Psalm 126. If you have your Bible, it's going to be up on the screen in a minute. But if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to go there. And I believe in Psalm 20, 126, not 26, but 126. I believe in this Psalm today that there is wisdom that every single one of us needs today. I believe that in this Psalm, there's something that can speak to every heart. And my prayer is, is that you would hear it, but not just hear it. I want you to hear it, and then I pray that you would respond in the way that God would desire for you to respond. As you hear the truth of God's word, that it would come, become internalized, but then it would transform. It would change the way you live your life. I'm praying today for life change because I believe what we're going to share today could apply. There's going to be something that will speak to every single person in the room, all right? So y'all ready for that? I'm going to pray for us, and here's what I want you to do. I just want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment before we dive into this passage. And I want you to pray this, if you would. Not to anybody, but just to the Lord. But would you just pray this prayer? Lord, help me to hear what you want me to hear today. And then, Lord, help me to respond in obedience. Would you just pray that simple prayer to the Lord right now? Just take a minute, and then I'll pray out loud for us. But pray that prayer. Father, we come before you today humbly, knowing that if you're not here, then we're wasting our time. Well, Lord, we th are thankful that you are here, that we've had time to worship you through song, and Lord, that your presence has infested this place through the praise of your people. 
Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to speak your word. And Lord, I know that your word never returns void, but you have a purpose and a plan. And thankful that the burden is not on me to convince. But Lord, the Holy Spirit of God will take this word and he will bring it to bear on every heart, every life. And Lord, I do pray just as all of us have prayed just now. Lord, I pray that we would hear the word that you want to say to us. And God, not only would we hear it, but it, we would respond and it would change the way we leave this place. We would leave differently today because the word of God has been preached. And so, Lord, have your way in this place. Do what you want to do. Lord, empower me to speak the word as I ought. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you probably have heard the story of Desmond Doss. It was featured in a movie called Hacksaw Ridge. I had to look down because I've been saying Heartbreak Ridge all the day. And that was the Clint Eastwood movie back in the 80s. You don't want to hear about that. But Hacksaw Ridge was the story of Desmond Doss. Desmond was a pacifist. And when he, the time came around to be drafted to go to World War II, Desmond wanted to go and serve and he was diligent to do that. But he had said, I'm not going to kill, but hopefully maybe I can save some lives. And so Desmond was against guns. He didn't use guns. He didn't take a gun. He didn't have a gun with him. And so he was going into battles unarmed. And he would go because he was unarmed. Obviously, he got a lot of ridicule from his fellow uh, soldiers. He got a lot of ridicule from his superiors. He got ridicule from everybody. How are you going to be in a war and you don't have a gun? How are you going to be in a war, but you have nothing to fight with? And so what Desmond began to do is he would be kind of like a medic. He would go and he would minister to soldiers that got hurt, but he would be with his unit. They would be fighting. The battle would be raging. Desmond would be taking care of guys that got hurt and he would minister to them that way. Well, in one particular battle on Hacksaw Ridge, if you saw the movie, you saw it was an amazing place and it was a difficult place for battle. But his unit had gone up, they were fighting the enemy and the enemy's, battle, the enemy's fight was so intense and people were getting mowed down. Now, they were like almost in a, a terrible place and it was just an awful place to fight from. They couldn't gain any advantage. And so after the fighting had gotten so intense, the decision was made for the unit to pull back. But even to pull back was difficult because there was a huge ridge. And so they had to go up and down this ridge, like climb up and down this ridge. So as the unit was pulling back, Desmond was one of those that pulled back. But in pulling back from the intense fighting, what Desmond knew in that moment was there were his brothers in arms that were hurt, that couldn't pull back, that were going to get killed if something wasn't done. And so what Desmond decided to do is he says, I'm going to go save them, as many as I can. And so the story goes that over the night, throughout the night, Desmond went back and he went back and he went back and he went back. And when the morning broke, they discovered that Desmond had saved 75 soldiers, 75 lives that he had pulled to safety himself. And his famous prayer was this. He says, what I did was I would just pray every time I get ready to go, Lord, just give me one more. And he said, I'd get one more and I'd get them to safety. And then I'd pray the same prayer. Lord, just give me one more. And all night, Desmond Doss did that. He saved lives. He saved over 75 men that day from harm's way and from dying in that place. You see, Doss's famous quote, I say he would just pray, Lord, give me one more. Help me to get one more. Desmond lived under the idea Listen to this, because this is the title of the sermon. Desmond lived under the idea that although he was delivered, he was not done. 
Although he was delivered, he was not done. You see, it would have been real easy for Desmond to when they first retreated for him to say, Woo, I'm safe. Praise the Lord. I made it. I didn't get killed. I didn't get injured. But that wasn't Desmond's heart. He had got delivered, but you know what? He knew how terrible the fight was that was going on. He knew the suffering that those men were under because he had been in the midst of it. And although he had been delivered, he realized that there was still a work for him to do. And so he went about rescuing as many of those men as possible. And at the end of the day, as I said, 75 men were saved. See, I think this is the message of Psalms 126 we're going to look at today. The message of delivered, but not done. Delivered, but not done. If you have your Bible or you're watching the screen there, I want to read through Psalms 126. It's just six verses. These, this psalm is a song of ascent, they call them. Uh, if you look in your Bible from Psalms 120 to Psalms 130, let's see, 134, those are all called songs of ascent or psalms of degrees. And they were sung by the children of Israel as they would go to the holy feast, as they would walk the hills up to Jerusalem. They would sing these songs as they ascended up to Jerusalem. And Psalms 126 was one of those psalms. And so listen as I read this psalm to you. Uh, maybe we can get you up here to sing it here in just a minute. Crank it out for us. But it says this. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream." That our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And the Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Then look at verse 4. It says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. And then he says in verse 5, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with them. Sometimes the challenge with preaching through Psalms is trying to understand what Psalms is talking about in the original language. And then after describing that, trying to help you take something from that Psalm that you can use in the day-to-day -to -day today. But thankfully for Psalms 126, that's not really a problem. Man, the message of this psalm actually jumps out at us as we read it, as we break it down, as we look at the different parts to help us understand the message that God would have for us. And so I want us to look at three things, if we could, from this psalm, three sections of this psalm, and then I'm going to relate it to where we are today. All right, y'all ready? Let's jump in. The first thing I want you to see is that in this psalm, something amazing has happened. Something amazing has happened. Look at verse one, 1 through 3 again. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. What did the Lord do in this song? What they are celebrating here is that the captives, those who had been taken captive in Babylon. See, Israelites had been snatched from their country. They had been taken to a foreign land. They had been made slaves to serve in Babylon. Well, this psalm is celebrating the fact that they've come back. That some of the captives have made it back. It says the Lord has restored the fortunes of Zion. Look at what it says when it talks about that though. Listen to how the people were. These are people again, remember, they have been stuck in bondage. They were originally ripped from their homes, taken to a land that they did not know. They were forced into labor, forced into serving. There was no hope for them getting free. Can you imagine that? You're sitting in a foreign land. Your country is decimated. Your people are decimated. There's really no hope that I'm ever going home. I'm not going to see my family again. I'll never know the comforts that I knew before. I mean, I am stuck. I am depressed. I am overwhelmed. 
But then all of a sudden, God shows up. And God brings deliverance to the people. The people actually come back to Jerusalem. And so when that happens, look at what they says. It says, we were like those who dream. You ever been in such a great situation? Something so wonderful and marvelous is happening in your life that you just say, man, I got to pinch myself. This must be a dream. Have y'all ever done that? I mean, there are times in our life where something so great happens, something so unexpected, that we're like, wow, is this a dream? Am I dreaming? Let me pinch myself. That's kind of the mindset of the Israelites here in this passage. They are so amazed that they're back in, 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 in Israel, in Jerusalem. They're so amazed that they've come home. That it's like, man, it's like we're dreaming a dream. This is better than we could ever imagine. But it goes on. Look at verse, the next verse. It says, our mouth was filled with laughter. We couldn't contain it. Have you ever just broken out laughing? I mean, maybe you're just thinking about your life, thinking about this situation, and you just start to laugh because you're so thankful. It says again, our tongues were with shouts of joy. They could not hold in how awesomely amazed they were at what God had just done. God had delivered them. God had set them free. God had taken them from the chains of bondage to freedom. And they were overwhelmed with joy. They were amazed something amazing happened even the other nations noticed it look at verse the second part of verse two or or verse three the lord has done great things for us the nations say the lord has done great things for them in verse two even other nations were noticing and it wraps up in verse three and says they were glad isn't that awesome i mean think about that wonderful work that god has done for the people of israel They were celebrating. Something amazing had happened. Does that remind you of anything? Does that remind you of anything in your life? Has there ever been anything amazing that's happened in your life? Can I help you a little bit if if you need help? Anybody need help out there? Can I help you? If you are sitting in this room today... And you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And he is Lord of your life. And you have a relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you that something amazing has happened in your life? Can I get an amen, a witness to that? Can you testify today that because of what Christ has done in you, something amazing has happened? Think about it. You remember when you got saved? Do you remember when you invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Do you remember that moment where you experienced salvation? I can remember many years ago, I was a young boy. And I was in my mom's car on the way home from kindergarten, if you can believe that. And my mom is sharing with me about Jesus. And I remember kneeling down on the floorboard of the car right there on the way home and praying and calling out to Jesus and inviting Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. You see, I had been in church, I had known about Jesus, but I had never made that decision to give him my life, to say, Lord, I need you to forgive me of my sins. I need you to save me. But that moment I did, and I remember the excitement and the joy that went with that. I remember wanting to tell people about it, telling people and and getting baptized. And I was so excited about getting baptized and making that decision public that Jesus had changed my life. And even to the point in first grade, I remember trying to share Christ with one of my first grade friends because I was so excited about what Jesus had done. You see, there was great joy there. There was great, there was awesome spirit. There was relief. There was excitement. There was peace because Jesus had delivered me. He had delivered me. 
You see, the problem for us many times as Christians today, especially those of us who maybe have been saved for quite a while, that if we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, that if we have been delivered, many times it's too easy for us to forget. It's too easy for us to forget. Let me remind you, even if you got saved like me at an early age, some of you got saved later. Some of you got rescued from the very pit of pits. You were in the worst possible place in this world and Jesus delivered you for you. It's a little easier not to forget because you knew what you were in. You knew you were in the worst situation of your life. You knew you were desperate. For some of us who grew up in church, we forget sometimes of how desperate we were. We need a bigger understanding of what lostness is all about. Can I just give us a reminder real quick what lostness is all about? There's no need greater in our life than the need to be saved from lostness. In fact, in many churches, we don't want to talk about lostness anymore. We want to try to sound a little more politically correct, a little softer, but I want you to understand something. If somebody is without Jesus, they are lost. And I want you to understand, if they are without Jesus, the Bible says they are in the kingdom of darkness. They are stuck there, that they are slaves to sin, that they are dead, that they are bound in chains, that they are condemned, that they are destined to death, that they are hopeless, that the situation is bleak, and they're lost in every sense of the word. You say, Pastor, why are you talking about that? I want you to understand that whether you got saved at an early age like me or you got pulled from the actual pit of despair in a later spot in your life, all of us were delivered from those things. And we need to remember what we have been delivered from. Because if we remember what we are delivered from, then we are willing, although we are being delivered, to understand that we are not done with what God wants to do in our life. You see, when I forget... What I have been delivered from, it's easy for me to sit back and not realize that there are others around me who have not yet been delivered. And that not only are there others around me, but God has called me to be a part of seeing them to be delivered also. And so something amazing has happened, just as something amazing has happened for you if you have called on the name of Jesus. And I want to challenge you today to remember where it is you came from. To remember where you were, that you were lost and without hope until Jesus stepped in. You didn't even know until the Spirit of God enlivened your heart and opened your eyes to the truth of the gospel. But friends, let's remember that amazing thing. That you have been delivered, but I want to make sure you realize you're not done. That leads me to the second part. Notice what happens in verse 4. The Israelites cry out, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams... In the Negev. Now, didn't they just say in verse 1 that you have restored our fortunes? And then in verse 4, they're praying again, Lord, would you restore our fortunes? That doesn't make sense. But it makes sense if you understand what they're trying to say. They understood, Lord, you have restored our fortunes. You have delivered us, though, but through deliverance. Lord, now that we've been delivered, what we realize is that there are many who are still hopeless in bondage. Lord, I want us to understand when I have been delivered, as I look back, I realize there is still a great need for the Lord to work. You see, when a group of Israelites came back from bondage, there were still some of their patriot compatriots over there. There were still some Israelites in bondage. And so as this group has seen the Lord work and they've seen something amazing, it caused them to realize that, guys, there's still work to be doing. 
there's still work that God needs to do. We need help. Our nation has been eviscerated. We need help in that area. We need help to get those captives back. There's still work that we need God to do. That's why they cry out. Oh, Lord, restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. You know what that gives a picture of? There's a valley, the Negev Valley. And when it didn't rain in Israel, those beds would dry up. And it would be like just dusty. There's no water. There's no river. There's nothing. But when the rains would come, that whole place would fill up with water. And it would be like a fruitful land, a fruitful plain again. And so they're crying out, Lord, would you send the flood of your mercy? Lord, would you send the flood of your spirit? God, would you do a work? Because there's a work that needs to be done. And God, only you can do it. We can't do it ourselves or we need you to work. And so they're crying out to the Lord for him to show up in power. Friends, I want you to know something. When you realize the hopeless state that you are delivered from, when you remember where God brought you from, when you look back and you're thinking, man, is this a dream? Because I never thought I could be where I am. I never thought that, God, you could do this great of work. Lord, I never thought. When you're thinking that way, though, it always points us back to those who are still stuck in bondage. It always points us back to the great need that's still out there. I don't have to tell you about how great the need is in our world today, do I? I don't have to tell you that most of the people you live around, most of the people you work around, most of the people you do stuff with in your daily life, most of the people you know are lost and stuck in sin. The great majority of people in this community don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's just facts. Friends, we're not in the Bible Belt anymore. Everybody's not saved like we used to think. I don't think that was true, but we used to kind of think that. Well, they go to church. I guess they're all right. But listen, I want you to know the great majority of people you work with and you do stuff with, they are lost. And here's the reality. For most of those people, you're the best chance they will ever have of ever being delivered from their sin. Can you hear that one more time? You are the best chance that they will ever have of being delivered from their sin. And so when I understand how Jesus delivered me, when I understand the great joy that came to me, it makes me very aware of all the people that God still wants to work through me to change and to deliver with the good news of the gospel. You see, as I am delivered, I'm not done. As I'm delivered, I realize even more, there's more work that God's called me to. You see, too often, as Christians, we aren't broken over the devastation of those who are still stuck in bondage. Let me ask you just a question. Just, can we be real for just a minute? When's the last time you cried out to God for a friend or a neighbor or a coworker who's still stuck in bondage? I mean, you really got before the Lord and said, Lord, my whole soul is so troubled. My soul is so heavy. God, please do a work in this person's life. Lord, please do a work in my friend's life. Lord, please do a work in my family member's life. When's the last time? We cried out to the Lord. Many times I said, we forget where we came from. We get comfortable in our Christianity. We're comfortable. We like coming to church. I like everybody here. They're nice. You know, I mean, most of the time anyway. We've got a great pastor. We enjoy what we do. We enjoy our groups. It's very comfortable. Do you know what's not comfortable? 
is trying to reach those who have yet been delivered. It takes getting our hands dirty. It takes getting messy sometimes to reach into a hurting person's life and to give them the gift of life. But that's our calling. And when I realize the great work that he did in delivering me, I desire that more than I desire the comfort of just being in church. See, because that's what God's called me to. Because great need infects my heart. It overwhelms me. That's what the Israelites were dealing with. Lord, work, come in power. That's what we should be praying on behalf of our friends. Come in power that we could reach a world that's hurting and lost and dying. See, when, I, when have I called out to the Lord? You see, we were delivered, but we're not done. And so that leads me to the third part of this Psalm here, verse 5 and 6. See, something great had happened. They realized when something great had happened, they saw the greater need out there, that there was still a wonderful need, and God, we need you to show up. But third, they realized that the delivered were called to do the work of restoration. Those who had been delivered were called to do the work of restoration. Look at verse 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Basically, these are two of the same verses. The verse 6 just expands on verse 5. So I just want to focus on verse 6 with us this morning. But what's the message here? The message is there's work to be done in the harvest fields. The Israelites understood if they were ever going to see God do something that God was calling them into the field to do the work. He was calling them out to be a part of the restoration. You see, sometimes we just want God to do everything knowing. Okay, God, just make that happen. Will you make that happen for me? Okay, God, I just want you to do that. But many times what God wants to do more is he says, listen, I've delivered you. You've seen the need. Now I want to use you as part of the solution. I want to use you to bring restoration. That's what he says. We go out into the fields and look at what it says about going. It says it going, they go, those, he goes out weeping, bringing the seed for sowing. The first thing I want you to know, that verb there, he goes, he who goes, is kind of a double verb in the Hebrew, the original language there. So it means basically he who goes, goes. And the rendering we would give is just going to and fro. And it would speak to the idea of everywhere I go. You get that? As the Great Commission, you know, the, the, the Great Commission says, it's really translated as you go. And so as I'm going, I'm going into the harvest field. When I go into my home, I'm in the harvest field. When I go to my job, I'm in the harvest field. When I go to my school, I'm in the harvest field. When I go to my kid's ballpark and watch them play games, I'm in the harvest field. As you are going, go. And so we're to always be going. God is calling us as delivered saints. He's calling us into the harvest field to go to those who are still stuck in bondage. But look, it says how he says to go. He who goes out weeping, weeping. Think about that just for a minute. He's calling us to go out weeping. What does that speak to? It speaks to the brokenness, right? A broken heart. If I allow my heart to become cold, if I allow my heart to become calloused, if I forget what it was like when I was stuck in sin, if I forget the calling that God's placed on my life, what happens is I can become cold. And not only do I not weep, and do I not go out into the harvest field with intention, but it can get to the point, and this is where many Christians are today, it can get to the point where I barely even think about it. 
Did you know there's people, there's Christians who go by the guy work, they work with, they've been working with him for 10 years. Never said a word about Jesus to him. We talk about everything else. Talk about the sports, talk about the good things, the bad things, talk about everything, but don't ever say anything about Jesus. Our hearts have become cold. And so when Jesus says, when this psalm says, he who goes in weeping, he's speaking of a brokenness. Listen, as you begin to pray for God to use you, as you begin to pray for God to send you out into the harvest with this precious seed, that's what he's talking about, the precious seed of the gospel, then what happens is the burden in my heart grows. And so when I see the need of people, when I see the hunger, when I see the heartbreak in their lives, my heart is broken over that for them. That I come weeping because, Lord, I know the possibility of this precious seed. I know that as I scatter this seed, it's got endless possibilities to change lives. But, Lord, I'm broken that they don't know it yet. And I'm praying against all hope that they would come to know you and be set free and delivered. I believe, I say this a lot when I go to churches. I believe one of the biggest problems we have in church today, and this is across the board, is that we become way too dry. We come to church, sing a few songs, hear a good message. See y'all. See you next week. Come back again the next week. Sing a few songs, hear a good message. Great word, pastor. See you next week. I, I believe, this is just me. I'm not saying this is how you got to do it. But I believe every Sunday... As we come together, man, there should be times where at the end of the service and we come to the end of the message and the service is over, we call people to come to the altar. There should be people weeping at the altar, not necessarily maybe for what you've got going on, but because your heart is so burdened for the loss that God has placed in your life. There should be weeping. Jesus says, you should take this soul as you go out weeping. That was kind of the, the understanding. He says, as you go, I understand you're going to be weeping because your heart is going to be broken. And you're sowing this precious seed everywhere you go. God has called us to be seed sowers. He's called us to be those who are sharing this precious seed, the good news of God's love with as many people as we can in these days. And as we do it with a broken heart, here's what the message gives to us. Here's the promise at the end of that verse. You shall come home with shouts of joy. Bringing his sheaves with him. The person who goes out weeping with this precious seed, he will come back with joy, bringing his sheaves with me. Do you know what, y'all? I'm going to heaven when I die. Do you know that? I'm going to heaven when I die. I know that 100% to be true. There's no doubt in my heart and mind. I hope you know that to be true. But here's the reality. I'm not, twilling, I'm not rubbing my hands together every day. Oh, I sure hope I get to go to heaven. Sure, I'll be, you know what? I know I'm going to heaven. Here's what I want to do, though. I want to take as many people with me to heaven as I possibly can. I want to be Desmond Dawes. Lord, just give one more. One more, God, and then pray the prayer. As soon as one gets, Lord, give me another one. Because I want to do everything I can to help as many people as I can be in that place of glory and to experience deliverance here on this earth. We've been delivered, but we're not done. We're not done. God has called us to go into the fields, weeping as we go with the good news of Jesus Christ. You're delivered, but you're not done. 
There's a story, Rick Warren, missed, I've probably heard of Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life, that book, and I sold, you know, I mean, 20 million copies or something. Everybody, you probably read that book. But there's a story that he tells about his dad. His dad was a soul winner, had a heart for lost people. Man was broken over the condition of lost people. And so he was just winning people to Jesus all the time. He was seeing people get saved because of his faithful witness. He was going out into the harvest field. He was working it. And Rick Warren tells the story of his dad on his deathbed. His dad's dying. He's, you know, just a few days left in this life. And as Rick is talking to him, he can barely get out the breath because he's, he's just dying. And he's so close to death. And Rick Warren says he bends over close to his dad. And his dad's tears are coming out of his dad's eyes on his deathbed. And here's the great thing. He's not crying because he's about to die. But as Rick Warren leans over to listen to see what he's saying because he can barely hear, he hears his dad say, just one more. Just one more. Because here's what Rick Warren's dad understood. He was delivered, but he wasn't done. And, and it's probably amazing how many people have maybe come to Christ because of that, just that testimony that Rick Warren shares about his dad. But that was his heart. And that's what God's called all of our hearts to be. If you know Christ today, we're called to have a heart that's broken over the lost condition of those around us. And so I want us to do something. I don't know if you normally do this or not, but my man's playing up here. I just want us to have a time of response. And here, here's what I want you to respond to. Most of us, if we were honest today, we could say that our hearts have become a little bit cold to evangelism. Man, I come to church all the time. I'm here. I serve. I do all these things. But that evangelism stuff, that's just not for me. I want you to know it is for you. No matter what your personality, no matter how God made you or created it is for you. If you know Christ, he's given you the task. But your heart maybe has grown cold. Maybe it's because you've forgotten what God delivered you from. Maybe it's because I, I hadn't been able to see the need around me because I've been too focused on what my needs are. But I want to challenge us this morning. Just to cry out to the Lord. Say, Lord, you know what? I want you to forgive me for allowing my heart to grow cold. And Lord, could you just remind me again afresh and anew? Could you remind me of what you delivered me from? And Lord, again, afresh and anew, could you remind me of the people around me that need to be delivered from them? And that, God, you've placed me in their life so that I could be a conduit of your purpose and of your mission. And would you begin to do a burden, work a burden in my heart? And so I'm going to invite you to respond in just a moment. I'm going to pray. We'll have a time to stand. You just come. They'll play. Just to call out to the Lord right here. You say, do I have to come down to, for that to take effect? You don't have to. But there's something about it that makes a difference. And when we do it together, it even makes a bigger difference. Say, as a church, we want to have our hearts burdened and on fire to be usable in the kingdom of God. Lord, start with me. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 9, he says, the fields are white unto harvest, or the fields are ready for harvest. He said, pray earnestly for laborers to go into the harvest. That's what we need today, laborers in the harvest. You say, well, can I just pray for laborers and other people go? No, because <laughs> you begin to pray that prayer, the first person God sends is you. And so I just want to start that process today. As you come today, just call out to the Lord. Lord, would you refire my heart? Remind me of what you delivered me from. Give me a passion for the lost around me. Lord, break my heart over their condition. Let's just allow the Lord to work today. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've not been delivered yet, I want you to know Jesus loves you more than you could possibly imagine. 
He loved you so much that even in your sin, he went to a cross and died for your, on your behalf. And he rose again on the third day. And he offers life and forgiveness to all who would call upon him in faith. And today could be the day that you call out to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I, don't want, to quit. I want to quit playing the games. Today, I want to know you. I want to be delivered. And I'd love to talk to you, pray with you if that's you today. If you're here and you've never accepted Jesus. But for others, you're delivered, but you're not done. Would you come and cry out to the Lord today? Father, we come before you today. We ask that you would move on our hearts this morning. Have your way in this place, Lord. It's all about you this morning. So I just ask that you would move. And Lord, help us to respond to the word that we've heard today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you just stand up right where you are? Nobody's looking around. Just you. Just stand right where you are. Heads bowed. I don't want you to worry about singing. They're going to worry about the music. I just want you to worry about what the Lord's saying. I'm just going to invite you. As the Lord puts it on your heart, just come and cry out to him at this altar. For him to refire our hearts. To get us back in the harvest field, that we could sow seeds and we would have the burden of brokenness to do that with. Would you come as the Lord leads you right now? As they sing, you come right now.